Mark and the other insiders kept a careful catalog of the Lord's provision. 4,000 fed here, 5,000 fed there. Even so, they eventually lost count. You might as well try to tally the grains of sand that edge the sea as track the Lord's miraculous provision. After all, Jehovah Jireh is his middle name. Yet the minute need rings our doorbell, we stare down at our empty hands rather than look to the God-man who holds the pitcher of plenty, ready to pour it out should any believer ask. Blind as we are, I wonder when we will finally understand that little is much in God's hand. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And Jesus cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Don't you understand? And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. <coughs> and when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened the man's eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. The word of the Lord. Well, uh, Jeff always seems to stick me with some of the weirder passages in this <laughs> Mark series. Uh, last year, I did the beheading of John and the demons and the pigs. And today I get this one, so um, here we go. But we have talk back, so I'm sure that'll make up for it. Um, but uh, this is just a strange little anecdote, isn't it? Uh, and it's sort of just plopped right there in the very middle of this gospel of Mark. And uh, in a way, it's got this... The book Gospel of Mark in general, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but it has kind of this odd charm. It's the shortest gospel. It's very, sometimes it's very sharp and to the point. It kind of leaves you really wondering a lot of things, and other times it goes into lengthy explanations of stuff that you didn't even know you needed explained to you. And uh, it's the most anecdotal and esoteric kind of beat around the messianic mystery bush gospel. And uh, it's based on the recollections of the Apostle Peter, so I don't feel like there's any surprise there. Uh, the most brazen and off-the-cuff apostle. 
And, uh, you know, as I studied this passage and have been reading, I realized it starts to sound like this just, just graphically circumstantial anecdote, like someone is just jumping into it and saying kind of like, so there I was on the boat. Uh, do you remember that one time when Jesus got upset at us? Um, and it's got this like sort of flair of an incident. And um, it just sounds an awfully lot like how I imagine the Apostle Peter talking. Do you remember that one time we were on the boat late at night? We were crossing over to Bethsaida. Uh, I think it's, it means the place of fish. And it was late, and we forgot all the bread. We were starving. We were exhausted. And nobody's saying anything to Jesus about the bread. And we just had this terrible run-in with the Pharisees, and they kept asking Jesus for a sign after he made all this food for these thousands of people. Anyway, Jesus says something about the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And we're just all so exhausted that we just thought he was talking about bread. We're so hungry. And how we forgot the bread. And it was kind of this, oh, shoot, moment. <laughs> and then Jesus kind of unloads on us, but he's kind of calm and personable the whole time he's unloading on us. Crazy, right? And of course, Jesus did have a run-in with the Pharisees. They were demanding signs. And so when he says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, we know he's not talking about bread. Uh, leaven is an ancient Jewish symbol for evil. And in our context, Jesus is talking about the hypocritical teachings, the false teachings, the demands. And... Uh, if Jesus is upset, he's probably not actually that upset at his apostles. He's upset at the Pharisees. He's upset that the leaders of Israel are misleading Israel. There's a sting in that last interaction for Jesus. And uh, Paul uses the same analogy in 1 Corinthians 5. He says, uh, don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough or a little leaven works through the whole batch of dough. And the Pharisees, they were hypocrites. They were corrupting the people of Israel. And they came at Jesus with this sort of seeing is believing front. Give us a sign and we'll believe you. But in reality, the people had already been seeing. I think that Jesus was kind of worried that that encounter would get to his guys would affect his guys. That they would forget what they had seen and only want to see more. Instead of honoring Jesus as the divine provision, they would just be deeply concerned with where their next meal was going to come from. And that really kind of had more than, more than a dash of the Pharisees in it, that kind of thinking. Jesus also throws in the leaven of Herod, uh, which... Herod was the secular ruler, the political ruler of the area, and uh, he was the son of a man named Herod the Great who had kind of built up Israel into what it was after the rebellions and everything else. And um, it was just the leaven of Herod is kind of this lens of earthly political power, earthly prestige and glory, and just kind of doing, doing great works. It's almost as though Herod was trying to show everybody that he could be their ruler because he was doing good things for them by building a temple, building other stuff, 
And uh, that leaven that Jesus is concerned about, it's spiritual blindness, it's earthly short-sightedness. In the midst of these corrupt leaders, Jesus is attempting to kind of very gracefully jar these young men out of following their own leaders and their own culture. Uh, this is what they grew up in, was political leaders that put on a show and teachers that were hypocrites in secret. Their environment would drag them down into the pit of spiritual blindness if Jesus didn't inter intervene. Even at the late hour, in the boat, empty stomachs, Jesus' purpose is so clear here. I feel like Jesus' own words from his sermons are echoing in his own ears as he's speaking to them. Do not worry about what you will eat, for God shall provide even for the birds. You are of much greater worth than birds. At a glance, it kind of reads angry. You know, Jesus says, are your hearts hardened? It's almost like he's just calling them out angrily. But the context, what he's talking about with them, I mean, Jesus unloads on them shotgun style, just nine questions that you don't ever want to be asked. But what he dives into are good things. At the end, he says, don't you understand? Why all the worry? You know and you've seen the truth in extreme close-up detail, down to the most minute. You know, they even remember what types of baskets they use to carry. There's two different words for basket, and one is a big basket, one is a small basket. They just have this clear picture of what God did for them. And so Jesus is upset. Jesus is bothered, but Jesus, he's upset about the Pharisees. He's upset about the leaven. I think in a weird way, it's probably almost equally frustrating as it is endearing to Jesus to care and comfort for his his guys, for his apostles. The blindness of this moment, the connection of the physical and the spiritual that Jesus is trying to get them to get. It's why Jesus came. It's why he's here. This is his thing, is to have these conversations with them late at night. And I think that Jesus is probably moved to compassion as he asks them these questions. There is such an edge of gentleness and grace, even in the midst of saying hard things, that uh, you know, we just can't even, can't even imagine in an earthly person. The lesson here is not, you're dumb because you don't get spiritual things. How terrible would it be if we reinforced a message like that? The lesson is, remember, you are needy, and you need to remember that the Father will care for you.
in very, very specific, concrete ways. In many ways, I think Jesus recalls these events not only for the sake of the Twelve, but for, the sake, for our sake, that we can in some way participate in the provision that Jesus offers. Don't you understand? I'm not mad. It's going to be all right. Open your eyes to the joy of these spiritual truths. And the contrast transitioning into the next, it's kind of, it's just such a rocky transition. The contrast between the spiritual kind of buffoonery of the apostles and the story of the blind man is very unique. Uh, It's just completely asymmetrical, almost comes as a non sequitur. There's no real explanation. It's just kind of like this happened and then this happened, moving on. And even the healing itself is totally unique and different. There's no multi-phase healing anywhere else in the entire Bible. Um, So something is going on here, something we have to probe and question a little bit. God is trying to show us something with what's going on here. And especially, I just think it's so fascinating that Jesus gets done kind of putting on a show. He feeds the 5,000, and then he comes to this next, he chastises the disciples a little bit, says, you know, don't you have eyes to see? Don't you know what's going on? He could just do another show. He could just say, all right, the Jesus show is in town again. I'm going to prove to everybody who I am and what I'm doing. And instead, he, he doesn't. He takes the blind man by the hand and he leads him outside the village. I don't think it's just for Jesus' own sake. He's not trying to prove a point. It's for the man's sake, too. I think the, we don't really know a whole lot about all the people that Jesus heals, but I think in this instance, maybe the shock of being healed, the power and the magnitude of being forever changed would uh, be a difficult process for a person that's never even seen the light of day. Be hard to adjust in front of dazzled onlookers on a crowded street. And... It might be a stretch, but sometimes it just seems that is Jesus' supreme greatness is his consideration of others. He practices just the depth of empathy that I, I can't fathom, I can't imagine. This considerateness, uh, just every encounter that Jesus has is infused with consideration for others. It's a private moment, and the mystery of this private moment that we get to behold is this process. This heals him, it's not quite complete, heals him again. It's connected to the spirituality of the apostles just by sheer circumstance and happenstance. Jesus even uses this method of spitting maybe to make the guy feel comfortable with what he's doing. Spit and spittle was thought to have some sort of healing power. Um, And it's not actually so strange. Like when you get a cut or when you burn your finger, you immediately kind of put it into your mouth or, you know, soothe the pain a little bit. And I even remember, I couldn't look it up, but I remember a Jeff Foxworthy bit where he talks about the cleansing and healing power of mom spit when you're a kid. (laughs) Now, that's the cure-all for everything. 
Jesus doesn't only give this man restored sight. He gives him the space to process, the time to begin to understand, and the care for his needs, all of his needs, his psychological needs, his physical needs, his spiritual needs. One commentator wrote, uh, you know, as we draw to this midpoint in the Gospel of Mark, the first half draws attention to the disciples' inability to recognize Jesus. Over and over again, we're told that somebody recognizes Jesus and he sends them away, or someone is just asking, who is that guy? They're unable to recognize Jesus as Messiah, empowered by God. And this healing is like an object lesson of the process of faith and belief, a process that has been the disciples' journey from the start of the gospel. Although we conclude the story here in the very next passage, which I don't think we'll pick up until next summer, uh, we'll see that the disciples are going through this process and they actually start to understand. Jesus questions Peter and Peter gives his great confession And even that, as much as it is two steps forward, is still a step back because they only have half the equation. The first half is that Jesus is the Messiah. And the second half of the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus the Messiah must die for us. We too walk in the spiritual shoes of of the disciples. We collect spiritual maturity over our lifetime through trial and error, mystery, anecdotes and experiences, uh, reflections, personal encounters, and divine wisdom. And we just begin the work of carving out these truths that Jesus taught about faith. That faith is this process, a very delicate process of belief. Faith is restoration, renewal, and satisfaction. It is something that we lose sight of often and that is powerfully revealed to us by one who is greater than us. There's a lot of speculation. Some of the commentaries I read, they kind of try to bring a symbolism to every little detail of of the story. And as I've kind of presented today, it it just is kind of a story, but it has a very clear point. Um, All these minute things and all these details, we realize the poignance of faith and the struggle that is faith. We need to verify our own spiritual blindness to allow Jesus to open our eyes as gradually as he sees fit. I want to take time now uh, for a dialogue, a conversation. I want to uh, really open it up and kind of hear where you guys are at with all of this. Uh, It's just some questions to get us started, and they're by no means uh, the best, but uh, what areas do we struggle with, or do we struggle to see God in? What cultural leaven should we beware of? What truths do we take in part, and how can we continue the process to process the whole weight of the truth. What new challenges set before us personally or as a community that will move us forward in our story with God? Do we sometimes wish we were either blind or full-sighted? 
in the vast in-between, how may we become more open to Jesus, meeting our needs in the midst of the process? And then what questions do you have?